0: Okay, welcome to Across the Pond, episode 6, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, episode 6. My name is David Ashbaugh, as always joined by my co-host, 610 Funkquist. And 610, this is a bit of a special episode because we will be featuring our first guest interview. Oh, yeah. Um, who is a, well, recognizable name to any SHL fan, um, former Open captain, and longtime team president, retired in 2014, Mike Elbert. Yeah. So that will be coming up later in the episode.
1: Yes, we sat down with Mike last uh Friday yes so and today's Monday we should say yeah um, so w- there will be a bit of a special episode we won't be doing a team a special team or a, a team of the week or team of the episode re- right now no
0: today. because uh, you yeah, our interview uh, ran fairly long yeah but know, I think we could probably have him back and talk about a bunch of other stuff for a lot more as well yeah cause... and it
1: looks like uh, it sounded like he wanted to be back as well so we'll yeah, see what happens absolutely
0: but uh, let's start it off uh, we've just got a couple of uh, signings to uh, run them
1: yeah uh, HP 71 extended Jonas Gunnarsson by one year uh, making it his ninth season in the organization oh. including juniors and uh, stuff like that uh, Jura Gordon has played uh, sorry has signed four junior players to first team contracts interesting so those are Oskar Beaselius Ludwig Hedström Pontus Johansson and Axel Brandström. Brenn Brandstrom, could that be or I may ha- I may have made a mistake I'm gonna look that name up I said could it be?
0: Fairly big signing out of Rogla as well.
1: Yeah, we, Brent Stam, yeah, that's the name. So that's, that's pretty cool, actually. You, you're going to be promoting four players, will be um, competing for a first team spot. Yeah, but absolutely. I, I imagine they will be playing in the J20 as well. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Also, I should mention that, <clears throat> sorry, that the signing of Jonas Gunnarsson really solidifies their goalie tandem yes and it looks really nice for hp 71 one year i can imagine him wanting to try his wings abroad and this one year extension could see we could see it as a like an insurance given what's going on in the world also yeah also we must talk about you last we forgot about that and that was a, a point to the agenda i really forgot so let's Make a nice segue to him, because it's been stated that he wants to try swings abroad as well.
0: Which, I guess, if I were a betting man, I'd say KHL.
1: Yeah, I'd say so as well. Um, but, but you never know, he might land in the Swiss League as well. Yeah, or Germany. Or maybe Germany, land, Germany anybody
0: who throws a bag of money at him, exactly. which he's and certainly earned, so... I, I see him
1: going... <sighs> I don't blame him at all, but if he leaves, or that puts Lulio in a bit of a tickle, mm-hmm. um, he's been... I mean he's been just incredible yeah absolutely um, he's, he's really a hometown hero um should he leave i by my knowledge he hasn't signed anything yet yeah but if he leaves lulio it's yeah it's a great loss for for the team and also for the league because he's one hell of a goaltender
0: yeah absolutely it's um yeah it'll be uh it'll be tough to see him go yeah but um probably not very surprising to anybody who knows how, no, how well he's played and
1: probably not for long i've my sources in Luleå, not the organization, but in town, tells me he's a bit of a hometown guy. Yeah. So fairly homesick. So we'll see how that works out. Go make some money for a couple seasons and exactly. come back. Exactly. So I can see him signing for a big team in Russia or going down south in continental Europe because you don't want to sign if you're if you're a guy who's prone to homesickness. Yeah. I don't. I can. I don't see you signing like in the middle of nowhere in the KHL. Exactly. So we've heard numerous stories about that. People signing there and just leaving after, I don't know, five or six weeks. Exactly. So we'll see what happens. But uh, good for him. I mean, go get the money and come back. He's not an old guy, so exactly. all the best. But the the league will be profile short.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, going back to Robo. Yeah, Robo. Really Big signing for them, Adam Tambellini um, out of Modo. <clears throat> Who had an absolutely stellar year with Moto? 28 goals, 35 assists, 63 total points in 37 games played. Absolutely lit it up. And interesting anecdote about Adam Tambellini. I did uh, the in house PA announcing for the Surrey Eagles when he played for that team, really? which is uh, part of the BC Junior Hockey League, Junior A, back in, yeah, it was my hometown team of the Surrey Eagles. And so, yeah, I was uh, there, what was a 2012 2013 season. Had a fantastic junior career and um, yeah, he came over to play for his first season in Europe here this year and absolutely lit it up. So um, and obviously, Rogla's been looking to replace some offense that they lost in the off season. So I think he'll probably be a pretty good pickup for them.
1: Yeah, he will be. We should mention that he's the younger brother of Jeff Tambellini. Yeah, it's Jeff a it's Tamaleen. a hockey family yeah, through and is.
0: through. The father, the grandfather. They've even got a cousin. So.
1: Um, also, he, the 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 reason why he signed with Real was actually Cody Curran mm-hmm. who, who talked really well about the about the club, the organization, the, well everything they got going on there. And so it's kind of nice Cody Curran leaving the club and kind of helps bringing people in anyway. So. It, Full circle, in a way.
0: We should also mention he's the son of Steve Tambellini, Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was long-time with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, director of player personnel, assistant general manager, and, of course, the longtime general manager of the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Everything seemed to circle back to Vancouver Canucks. I know. It's, it's really funny great. how that happens. Yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> but, obviously, good <laughs> uh, hockey pedigree in that family.
1: Yeah. Uh, Modo has lost another few players, but let's get back to that in a while. Uh, Perlund signed defenseman Matthias Norlinder from Modo. Oh. Yeah, Moro's, um, um, that.
0: like you said uh, before we started recording, they've kind of been gutted.
1: Yeah, I made a list. They've lost Eric Hanses, goalie, no new team. Uh, Tom Hedberg to Brynäs. Uh, Viktor Berglund, no new team as that I know of. I think he's signed with the NA, an SHL team, but I, I okay. couldn't find. Patrick Kahlqvist for sport, I think that's in Finland. Fredrik song, signed with Oskar Chan. Kim Rosdal, we talked t- t- about last episode. Uh, Joachim Hagelin, no new club. Henrik Björklund has left. Matthias Rom has left. They've lost six of their... Well, their top six in the internal goal scoring. Which well, is, point scoring, actually. Which
0: is obviously going to be frustrating for them because they probably would have qualified for the uh-huh. SHL next season, probably would have kept those players around yeah. had that pre- transpired. And so this is this is going to be a real tough pill for both the organization and the fans just to swallow. Because- exactly. So I
1: should also mention, without putting you on the spot, I don't know if you read this, but their coach has p- quite publicly stated he wants to leave, but he's under contract for another th- three years. He wants to go to Lexan. Mm. And um, yeah, there's he's not acting all that professional, and he's getting lots of criticism for this. And I I totally agree. You just don't do that when you're on the contract for such a long time stating you want to leave. And apparently there are are rumors going around, not confirmed rumors, that he's actually asked Lexan to also bring Jan Bartoszak, their goalie, from Modo. So it's uh, really infected between Modo and uh, uh, Björn Helgqvist, who is the coach. So this will end poorly.
0: Yeah, it's just a n- terrible situation all around for Moto yeah. and uh, and of course Björklöven as well, who obviously kind of got shafted this year with the the exactly. shutdown as well. So.
1: so it circles back that for every purpose, this would should have been would and should have been the great experiment season the next the coming season to expand the SHL, have Moto Björklöven come up and just deduct four teams yeah. down to the qualifications. That would have been the easy way out. Um, so sure, there are. Reasons why that didn't happen, but I stand firm that that would have been the best way out of this. Yeah, uh, I think that's it for signings. Actually, uh, I don't know much about those junior players, um, but I'm sure we'll hear more about them going forward. Jürgen U- 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 has really popped up, stepped up their uh, production in terms of junior players. Well, yeah, absolutely. Lineup, you know, um,
0: Alexander Holtz this season expected to go high in the draft. Um, so. Yeah, and they they produced a, a lot of young talent. They keep
1: putting them in, and uh, we'll see more. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, really cool. And like we mentioned, Jurgen Rögle, and Luli are uh, the front runners when it comes to using local talent. Yeah. It's really awesome.
0: Well, should we get to the interview, or do we have anything else to cover? No,
1: I think we should send it over to Mike Caliber, and we'll get back with some other news and stuff after this. Absolutely. Enjoy the interview. So, we're actually here with our first interview. We're proudly presenting a man who played... 135 NCAA games, scoring 85 points with the University of Michigan. He has 363 regular season games in Sweden, 92 of them being in the SHL. He played for Linköping, then he was the president for Linköping uh, for 12 seasons. We're proud to welcome Mr. Mike Helper. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sixten. Nice to be here. Uh, You came over to Sweden. We're going to jump right into it, actually. Um, You came over to Sweden at a time when i having lived in sweden i don't think that many north american players came to sweden and you didn't come to sweden to play tough tier hockey you played in the division 1 which was back then was the second tier hockey actually division um, 2 what made you come here in the first place
2: long story um but but to, to, sure. to, i will um, um, as you said, I played at the University of Michigan, um, grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is um, where the University of Michigan is, and, and got to play for what I would consider my hometown team. Uh, at that time, I never really had any dreams about playing in the NHL um, or, or professionally at all. I had always dreamed about playing at the University of Michigan. Um, what happened then at that time was after that happened, I was drafted by the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and the draft today compared to the draft back then, I got a phone call on a Saturday afternoon saying we're standing on the Montreal Forums floor and you've been drafted. And I answered, I didn't even know there was a draft. What does that mean? Do I get a hat? <laughs> so I wanted a Winnipeg Jet hat. Um, so after my time at Michigan, uh, I, Winnipeg was not interested in signing me to an NHL and AHL contract. Uh, now, you have to remember back at that time, there was something that was called um, the IHL, which is the International Hockey League, and then the East Coast League. And I was offered a chance to play for a, an international team or in the International League, but also with a two-way contract down to the East Coast League. And I said that um, I would never play in the East Coast League. Um, now, understand the East Coast League has gotten a lot better since the IHL is shut down. Uh, the East Coast League where Toledo was the closest team and I had some friends from Michigan that played there and to go down there and watch them fight um, and and in my opinion would have hated the game if I had to do that uh, and make $400 a week. I wasn't interested in doing it. So I got the chance to come to Sweden. Um, I was one of the first people. Paul Kobalars, actually, and I don't know if that name's too popular around here, but he started, came over to Sweden from Michigan, um, started something called Sports for Life, which is a Lutheran um, group that, that um, really works through sports to, to try to um, do different things through his ministry. Um, he helped Rob Brown come over, and Rob Brown then helped me come over. So over a period of five years, there were three of us from the University of Michigan that came to Sweden and I came, as you say, to the second division, which is the third division, because at that time you had the, the Elite Series. After the Elite Series, you had the All-Swedish League, or First Division one, and then the All-Swedish League, and this was Division two. So for me, it was a little step down hockey-wise, but it gave me a chance to be a, a, a important player on the team, and I was in Linköping then from 10 years later.
1: How would you... What was the biggest difference hockey-wise, coming
2: over from North America to, yeah,
1: like lower tier
2: league in sweden no question about it For, from my end of it, it was the skating uh everyone could skate well there were where the drills the the ice surface is obvious surface is obviously a couple of meters wider um and then it's a you know 60 meters long so there's a lot of space um when you have the bigger surface and i had to learn to skate better uh to, to be able to keep up and and to to be a part of what the Swedish system worked on so for me skating was was by far and away the the biggest issue or the difference that that I had to work on um, obviously uh, coming over for, as a North American I was well liked on my team due to the fact that um, they knew I was one of the better players or I had to be one of the better players if we were going to su- succeed I had a the role which a lot of kids talk about today which role did you have I was an offensive role right from the beginning and um, I, I fit in real real well, real well. Um, at the same time I have to admit that that um, uh, I came over wanting to learn the Swedish language. I came over wanting to learn about the Swedish culture. I came over and asked the heck a lot of a lot of questions as opposed to trying to feel that that this was my place that I was going to change the Swedes. I was very, very clear that I need to become a Swede as opposed to Swedes need to understand how an American or North American is going to do. so it helped me a lot that that I learned. Uh, easy phrases in Swedish um, you know where's the milk or or how do I get here or thank you and, and goodbye and and continually learn the language which for me is was the most important thing to do and I think it was one of the reasons why I was then accepted into the group as well as it was
1: <clears throat> oh, sorry um, moving well, who was the coach when you got here was it Tommy? No, no
2: Yimbertian. 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 So, so Yim, Yim actually asked Rob um, who he should bring over, and Rob pointed to a guy by the name of Steve Beadle, um, who he played with, played at Michigan State, not Michigan. Don't don't confuse those two. Um, the green and white from East Lansing. Play. Rob came, and I came from the the maize and blue in, in Ann Arbor, and and here's a kid that was a phenomenal hockey player, but but he wasn't interested in Sweden. He wasn't interested in the Swedish culture. He wasn't interested in anything. The Olympics were 1992. And that's the summer we came over, so we got to see the Olympics on Swedish TV 1, 2, and 3 at that time. There wasn't cable television. <laughs> and after the Olympics were over, he didn't know what to do. I, I threw him a book by John Grisham, uh, The Firm, if I remember right, and a very, very popular book. I said, Here now you can read this. He threw it back at me. I haven't read a book in four years. What the hell am I going to read one now for? And uh, of course, you move to a different country. You better find a way to, to spend time for yourself. So, so um, Jim was the coach. Rob brought over Steve and I. Steve left after a month. I was here by myself as far as being an import, and that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because then I was able to get into the households of all of my Swedish teammates.
1: You touched on the social bit, uh, uh, social part a bit. How, how? I want I want to put myself in like your see it from your eyes. Myself I was seven years old and I remember reading about oh lean shopping they signed an American player. This is awesome and obviously you turn out to be an an iconic player for Lean Shopping throughout your career. And but homesickness there there wasn't I mean internet wasn't that what was it this it was coming and contacts were getting easier. But how did you tackle homesickness in any way?
2: First, The first month was really easy. Uh, we came at the end of July and the month of August. As I said, the Olympics were on TV, so we had things to watch on TV um, that were that related to us at home Uh at the same time, there's a lot of things going on outside Sweden. You know, it's it's light outside. There's a lot of a lot of energy in the summertime. The end of the summertime, all through August, there are different kinds of festivals and, and people being outside. So so I didn't have a problem um, in in August or even in September. But but October, November, that, that certainly hit me. And uh, again, I, I grew up in Ann Arbor. I went to the University of Michigan. Obviously, moved to campus from my family and my parents' house. But but at the same time, I was was this was the first time I had moved away. So I, it was, you know, I guess like anybody else that has homesickness, I really tried to uh, submerge myself into the S- Swedish society. I really wanted to be a part of um, learning the language. I had thought that I would be in Sweden for two seasons, or that was my dream or my hopes or whatever you want to um, put it as, and I said, I'd, li- I'd really, really like to play one season, be so good that, that I can come back for another season, learn the language, and then I was going to go back to the United States to get my master's degree at a master's program somewhere in the United States. So so two seasons was my goal. Um, the homesickness, um, my grandmother died when I was here in Sweden, which was, was the hardest time for me. Um, so you know, I, my mom called me up and told me wh- that she had passed away, and I was here in Sweden. I couldn't go to the funeral. I couldn't be a part of that, and that's something that I'm Really, the only thing that I feel like I've missed um, by being in Sweden for so many years is that I have I've, I've, uh, don't have the same relationship with my family, my, my siblings, uh, their children. Um, my grandparents uh, lived for many years. But my father's parents lived a long time after I'd moved to Sweden. Uh, you talk about the Internet. My grandpa was a phenomenal man, uh, learned to send emails. So, so, so I, I would get an email from him that would say, Hi, Mike, this is Grandpa. How are you? And and it was you know it wasn't a long letter but it was a connection yeah. and I would send him back an email uh, you know and, and we would try to communicate that way and it was uh, the start of of uh, the internet for, for my usage but but uh, here's a, a man that's you know over 80 years old that, that's learning how to how to use a computer for the first time that's really cool it is certainly was so so of course I was homesick at a time at the same time I, I learned the Swedish language. And, and try to get immerse myself in the culture and I got to go home every summer for, for a period of four months the first six years I believe I went home for four months in the summertime so that's you know a third of the year which my you know, I got to see my parents and my siblings in a sense um, it's almost actually worse now that I have kids uh, three children that, that we have because it's harder to travel back and forth because there's so many different conflicting schedules
1: Yeah, and we're, we're sitting down in, a, in the midst of a global pandemic as well making it well, who knows what what, what will happen? But move, moving back, I mean, during your time with Lean Shopping, the team established themselves first in Division One during your second season with the team, and you played there for uh, Let Me count, six seasons before before making the jump. The first jump, we should say, with Lean Shopping uh, getting promoted to back then the Elite League or Elite Series. For anyone back in the in North America, is it? Can you describe the the promotion re- relegation real struggles or trying to establish yourself in
2: another level as a team? what's that like? Certainly I was you know in a great situation that you, you never really know that that's going to happen but but I got better as a player and Lynch up and grew as a program you know so we came in and you know as you say the, we say the second division there's the first division and there's the elite. Uh, so we moved up one division the first season, um, which was the goal. They, the team actually was very, very close the year before, but, but didn't do it with uh, a goal ratio where they had had, had less, scored less amount of goals than the, their opponents, so they didn't get moved up. The, the thing that then happened was is that the, the, the organization grew, the popularity of the, the team grew in the city, and, and I was a part of that from the beginning. Um, I, again, I was very considerate and, and respectful of the Swedish society. And, and learn very quickly how to try to become a positive member of the society. So I remember going down to to youth hockey practices and saying, I've got nothing to do, let me be a coach with these kids or let me go on the ice. And as you say, I was you know one of the better players on the team that, that had a popularity. So, so for me, going down on the, on the ice and working with six-year-olds and seven-year-olds on a Sunday morning was something that really put me in a good spot. The, when you talk about the the relegation or the advancement of between between leagues, I had no idea about this. For us, it was you know win a championship, and, and the teams that that um, aren't a part of a, a playoff, they're done, their season's over. Where here, on the other hand, the teams from the from the leagues above, uh, coming down after you know often a, a very poor season or a, a season of struggles, if it were due to injuries or or bad chemistry in the group or whatever it may be, so in the beginning we were moving up and everything was positive and and the organization was moving forward uh, the fans were coming to the arena we had great you know fans in the standing room and it was crazy in the arena so in a sense it was it was positive all the way through and and that that atmosphere is something that it's very very hard to to uh, show people when you have one team that's got so much to lose and one team that has so much to win um, the different kind of things that happen in the mental games uh, in these series is, um, i've seen it now for the last 25 years and and it's it's hard to describe winning a championship is great but the when the team that loses that game you know that they're pretty happy you know okay we we were second place it's it's not great it's not what we wanted but but it you know it's a good season you know in these qualification series you have one team that's crying and the other team that's celebrating and and that um, the difference between those two, that that's hard to explain unless you actually live through it. It's close
1: to life and death, really. I mean,
2: today with all the money involved, getting relegated
1: from the SHL or Hockey Allsvenskan for that matter, it can be life and death for the for the club and the, their whole existence today. But how would you say getting into that, rather? You played in the SHL in 1999-2000 and then again in 2001-2002 with Linköping being relegated the first time. Um... How would you say Swedish hockey has evolved during your time in Sweden? Because to me, it's gotten way more professional, obviously, with we see massive imports,
2: uh, massive TV deals. How would you describe it from your end? Obviously, um, I, I agree with with you know that that the, the league has become certainly more professional. Athletics have become more professional in Sweden in general, and that, that is due to the fact that um, financially there have been revenue streams that have increased um, dramatically. Um, a couple of things that have happened uh, go back now to let's say uh, 2002. You have a TV deal for the first time. That's a, that's a, a big TV deal. Seymour, which is a you know the company that that um, pretty much doubled the price of, of what they were willing to pay for it, um, and every six to eight years that was then doubled again over the period of a of a twelve year period. So so two and three times, and now it's been doubled again um, just recently. So so in essence, you have a a base of a TV company that's willing to pay for it. Uh, thereafter, then you see the stands, and in and, uh, two thousand and two. Two, you have the first arena being built in Jönköping, uh HB71. Um, after that, then Karlstad uh, built a brand new arena, totally new. Um, therea- thereafter, Shopping built an arena. Thereafter, a, every team built a new arena. Which what happened was was that the financial ability of what's going on around a team a team all of a sudden becomes from an association. Remember Sweden, um, their teams are associations, member-based, um, members make decisions on the club's um, hierarchy, who's gonna run the club, who's gonna be a part of the board of directors. It's all about a member-based situation as opposed to North America where the majority is a privately owned company often by one family or one person. So. You have the money coming into it. You have the ability to, to increase your revenue due to fan base and more fans at the game because you built a new arena. So Linköping went from 4,300 people to 8,300 people in one season, which is a huge difference. Um, a restaurant, um, everything that entails. So to, to sum, sum up the whole situation, Swedish hockey has gone from being a, a, an association organization um, people that that work as a volunteer in the organization to a professional business through and through and and you see that at, at all levels of the situation other than the fact than the people that are probably let's say 55 and older because they're so used to the idea of the association and they're still willing to volunteer and help their organization that's changing that's you know going to change very quickly um, over a long perspective but um, year after year, we see fewer and fewer volunteers that are willing to give their time up to a team just because they love the team, due to the fact that there's a lot of money involved. Um, good and the bad, you know. I don't know what to say. Which is better? Um, they're both the same, and and it's it's part of the world that's you know evolving. But Swedish ice hockey has gone from an association-based organization, let's say, in 1995. To 2005 um, changing from 2005 forward, purely professional.
1: We should also mention that um, when you stopped playing for lean Shopping in O2, according to elite prospects, you still played for Jungstro in <laughs> Division three after that but, but you moved from player to, to president for, for lean Shopping two- part question. A, what made you make that jump right away? And also, how how did you prepare for it?
2: I played a couple of games in Jungsboro, which was more fun than anything else. And, <laughs> and they're still on Elite Prospects. So, so yeah. I, I don't know if they have how, the amount of games that I played. No, nothing. Um, so, so, yeah, so that was about it. No, um, the um, choice that I made was, was that I, I realized very clearly that I was not good enough to be a, a dominating player in the uh, Elite League, which was called at that time the SHL today. Uh, And I wanted to to either continue to play in a a dominant role, in other words, playing on the power play at the end of the game, you know, penalty killing, and, and I wasn't there, and I, and I was very, very clear with myself that if I wanted to, I, I probably could have signed a, a new contract and I was offered a new contract. Um, I would have had to probably say that um, I don't want to be captain anymore, which I had done for many years, and, and change that role. And that, that wasn't something I was interested in. Um, now we have to remember that at the time that we were on the way up through the systems, we had a, a chairman of the board by the name of Christer Mord, who was a phenomenal person, had great ideas, and was willing to, to take chances. So, and and he took a chance on me, and I remember very clearly our conversation when he asked me, he said, hey, would you like to to work for the club? We need to have somebody who's going to run our club. And I said, you know, why would you choose me? And he said very clearly that, you know, we're a hometown, a small team, we new to the business, we need someone that knows the team, that knows the organization and is respected throughout the organization. We could certainly hire in someone from Stockholm or, or someone else from around the country that's a bigger name and even more experience, but that person would then come here and commute or live here for a year or two and not be here after that. If you do it, I know you're going to be here for the long run and I know you're going to stick through this no matter how good or how bad it ever gets. And, and I, you know, was thought it was a very smart idea. Um, I was scared, um, as I didn't know what I was going to do um, as far as the different, what the job entailed. But I sat myself down in the office and said, all right, let's get to work. And, and we were able to make steps forward each year. The first year, we were in the qualification series again. And, and that was about the scariest time of, of my time as a president due to the fact that if you get knocked out of that, all everyone in Sweden knows how hard it is to get back to, to the SHL. So I had a great boss. I had a great, you know, uh, mentor, if you want to call him that, that that helped me and was phenomenal. I was 32 years old Um, when I uh, stopped working, and I retired is is not really the right word because I was, you know, 40, 44, 45 years old when I uh, stopped doing that. Um, Well, that's not true. I was 32 when I started, so 12 years old, 44, 45 years old I was. Um, It's hard to say I was retired, but um, I was still the youngest president in the league. So, so I had worked at it and I had been there for the, I was the president there that had been there the longest period of time, but I was still the youngest, which kind of shows that, that I was, you know, came from a very young organization, which is true, and, and um, I was thankful for that, and what a great experience, and um, could I do it again? Um, not in this team, but, but in different teams, I, I don't know, it's something that's always a question that I'm asked um, almost on a monthly basis, so I want to get back into it.
1: Have you had offers?
2: I've had offers and and I've said no to a couple of different, both SHL teams and all Swedish teams. Uh, In the the end, if you're gonna be a a team president um, here in Sweden, I don't know if that's everywhere, I think you should live in that city I think you should be at that arena. You should be there for Sunday games between the young boys and the young girls. If there's a tournament, a, a boys' tournament or a girls' tournament, you should be there giving out the prizes or you should be there shaking people's hands or thanking all the youth coaches. And, and to, to commute, um, to me, is not something that a, a team president should do. I don't think it gives the right... Um, feeling for the team, and I don't think it's the, the right way to deal with all the people that you're asking to be a part of the organization. If it's a supporter of the pro team, if it's a volunteer for the youth program, or if it's a parent of a, of a player, you need to be there and active. And at, up to this point, I've not been willing to move. My wife and I see Lynchburg as our hometown and, and don't want to move. Uh, that will change when my daughter or our daughter um, will be uh, two years from now and moving on to high school and then maybe on to the university. So, So maybe in two years. But but at this point, not going to happen. Do
1: you want to chime in, David? You've been awfully
2: quiet so far. Yeah, well, you guys were on a roll. I
0: thought I'd let you just roll with it. Um, I
1: figured you you were part of the show as well.
0: Mike, I'd just like to actually go back to your playing days. Um, You obviously came up while you were playing during a time of massive change at the goaltender position with the introduction of the butterfly style of goaltending. You played in university in the mid to late 80s. And I wanted to know if you noticed that maybe there was a delay between that style coming across the Atlantic here in Sweden and what was the goaltending like here in the league when you were playing?
2: Interesting question. Uh, I played at the University of Michigan with Steve Shields. Uh, Steve Shields went on to have a very good career professionally. and, and he stay, stood up and he stood up and he stood up. Um, at the time, he started to learn to go, to go down and, and butterfly. So when I came over here, it was just starting where you know, guys were going down and using their, their, their length, their, their height, their, their leg reach, um, and, and using their pads um, at a different, different rate. Um, I would actually say that, that um, Sweden was quicker to, to make the move from from a, a standing goalie to a goalie that goes down to the butterfly style, that I would actually say in the NHL, it's, it's more traditional in North America than it, that it was here in Sweden. Now, to the contrary of that, um, I remember listening to a, a coach um, talk about um, Pasi Mustonen and talking about Andreas Haldelov Now we're talking about Swedish players that's and okay. Swedish Swedish coaches. Sorry, no, but really okay. but but I remember him saying saying, "Well, the best thing about Andreas is that he stands and he stands and he stands, and when they shoot again, he still stands up." And, and I remember thinking, well, that's not the way the goalie should be doing anymore. They should be down butterfly and, 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 you know, blocking the ice. Um, so, of course, you, you see the difference. Um, we had Roman Czech Monik come to Sweden and play here in Sweden. He stood up, um, one of the best goalies in the, from the Czech Republic, and, and he was killed. He he couldn't play here because they would just shoot the pucks on the ice and, and, and he couldn't do it. So, um I don't know if it's an answer to your question. I, I certainly was very well aware of the different styles, and and you saw it very quickly. The the goalies that that chase the puck, attack the puck, attack the angles. A lot like Annie Moog did one time in the NHL, where they're you know they're outside of the goalie crease by an additional ten to twelve feet, you know three or four meters to 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 block the angles. Um, Mikael Sandberg did that in Lin Choping and this is now then in two thousand. Uh, 1999, 2001, 2002, where Sandberg played here. He was way out of his zone. But after that, you saw the change. And, and um, I remember thinking, that's not going to work. We're going to be able to shoot in the top corners all the time. And then all of a sudden, they did, all the goalies decided to be about 6'5", and then you, they, they cover everything up. So, so, so certainly made the changes.
0: Now, uh, I'd like to go back to your um, days as president. Obviously, um, Lin Choping has never won the SHL title before, but they were back to back. What was that? Two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, you were in the finals two years in a row, and unfortunately, lost both finals in a row. Um, you, as the president, does that take a? Did that take a bit of a, a mental toll, mm-hmm. knowing that you were so close two years in a row, but were never able to to to, to capture that title?
2: You know, I, I would. I. It was a tough time um, and in and, and this time when you talk about Corona it was a great time, I have to turn it around it, it, it was hard to lose um, twice, um, I think we were the better team um, definitely against Modo but, but they had a goalie that was just phenomenal and obviously the goalie is half the team in, in the playoffs um, we had a great team both seasons, uh, we had great players uh, we were a little bit too young, um, the first season against HV71 when we, we played them uh, we ended up getting into a big situation where a referee made a terrible mistake um and and it was a situation that that shouldn't have the mistake shouldn't have been made Um, and we got focused on that and we 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 lost focus on the game we lost focus on the next game because okay we lost this game and and we should have probably won it due to the it was a mistake but who cares you got to move on you got to move forward and we weren't we weren't prepared for that so we we all of a sudden are the day afterwards we're talking about what happened the night before and in the playoffs you've got to learn that an hour after the game is over you got to let it go and you need to move on to the next step and and put yourself in a good position it's a seven game series not a not a two game series not a three game series so so. It was a, I didn't do a great job um, one season because I was a part of that being, you know, we need, we need to appeal. We need to do a lot of different things. We need to you know, change referees. So we're focusing on the wrong stuff, and, and, and that was a, a tough situation that, that we couldn't um, handle. And I wish I would have been able to do it again and, and uh, do it differently. At the same time, um, the best team always wins the playoffs. I've always said that. Uh, best of seven series. If you win four games out of, um, you know, in a seven-game series, then you're the best team. So so we were not the best team two times in a row. Um, I certainly think that we had a very good chance. Um, and, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda situations where, where a player gets injured or not. But that happens in the playoffs. Um, certainly I would have loved to have had a Swedish championship. Um, I... I proud of the fact that we were able to go from the, from the division below to the, the highest division and in 1999 when we did that. That is my greatest memory of, of playing hockey, no question about it would of the would had we won these championships would they have gone past that i don't think so because it was it was something where we were professional at that time we were paying players it wasn't the same uh, camaraderie in the group we were there more as professionals to, to do a job in 1999 we were a bunch of friends playing together having a great time uh, most guys still had jobs or or part time jobs at least and i was in school and a lot of other players were in school so Um, 1999 was the best time, but certainly, uh, Dave, I would have loved to have had a Swedish championship and I would love to have had that on my uh, resume. But um, at this point, it didn't work out.
0: Now, being obviously a a North American player yourself, um, I've actually asked this question to uh, multiple people I've interviewed this season. Uh, This year was actually one of the lowest years in the past decade for North American content in the league. Um, and a lot of people had different opinions as to why that may be. A lot of people are saying, you know, Swedish clubs are trying to promote their young guys from the junior clubs. Um, if North American players are coming over, they've got to be top tier players. You don't want them occupying, you know, third or fourth line positions. So what would your opinion be on that issue as to why there seems to be a smaller contingent of North American players this season compared to just two years ago? There was, I believe, 68 North American players, and this year it was topped out at
2: 34 I think we have to look at the uh, history uh, about this to to really find the right answer. Um, Early 2000s, uh, late 1999, so 99 let's say to 2003, a lot of Swedish players moved down to Switzerland and to Germany because they could make more money than they could here in the Swedish league. The TV deals that we talked about earlier then increased. We built arenas here in Sweden. So a lot of the players came back to Sweden because they were able to be financially rewarded through contracts that were similar to the ones that they could get in Switzerland and in Germany. Uh, what's happened now in the last couple of years is that you have different leagues that have now caught up to the Swedish league as far as financially and what payments are. Sweet, uh, the Swiss league has, is now paying really, really good players a lot of money. So it's more money in the Swiss League for North American than it is to come to Sweden. Russia. Russia has taken a lot of the top-end players to front that would have come to Sweden, but they're making a lot more money in, in the Russian League. So in essence, uh, the quality of player from North America has uh, decreased due to the fact that a lot of the best players are choosing to play in different or different leagues throughout Europe which means that then the teams here in Sweden say, why would I bring in a North American that is my third-line player when I could just as well have a Swedish player that could do the same job? Mm -hmm. A lot of the teams have also gone towards a homegrown status. We want players from our hometown area. Now, this is a little bit, uh, a lot of teams do it, they cheat. And they say, well, the kid went through our hockey high school. There are a lot of kids that, that, that play for a professional team that say that this is their club that they played for, from with for many years. Well they moved there when they were 16 or 17 years old to play in the hockey high school. And at that time they were already national team players for the under-16 team or under-17 team and so on. So a lot of teams are saying, well we have produced so many talented players, try to regain um, interest from the from the fans, interest from the city, and and to explain why it's important to, to support the youth programs. So why not take a kid from our own youth program that's grown up through our own youth program from the hockey high school often um, and let him play at that position as opposed to a North American who's going to come over. North Americans today doesn't have to be expensive because a lot of these kids that could play in the East Coast League can make more in the Swedish League even if they're a third or fourth liner. But the Swedish teams are saying no because they'd rather have the hometown feel. So a combination, players that are moving to Europe, Switzerland, Germany, and Russia, which they did in the beginning of the 2000s, are, are playing more there. And then you also have the idea that teams are trying to play, play their hometown players more. Would you have any advice for young North Americans looking at the Swedish League? Be willing to be very, very uh, humble if you come over to Sweden. Um, start at a lower league, score a heck of a lot of points, and then move up from there. Um, that's the way to get known. Uh, coming over and being a good guy. Well, there are a lot of good guys out there. Today, Um, most Canadian kids, um, uh, most North American kids that come here have some kind of um, path. A lot of the American kids come are college kids, which means that they have a a little bit larger view on life and see Europe uh, a little differently. Um, Now, that is certainly a a very, very shallow statement from my end to say that, that kids that don't go to college don't have that view um, but but uh, in essence, the kids that have been very successful from the United States have often met college kids um, that have come over a little bit older um, and also understand that they don't want to play uh, in the East Coast League or what it may be. So come over, be humble, play in the Division One, uh, dominate, um, don't make a lot of money, uh, make no money at all, live, have fun, learn the language, and then thereafter um, try to make a move up in the system. Uh, because. Uh, it's a lot easier to take a North American that you can actually see play as opposed to looking at elite prospect statistics or even someone who says you're great. Every agent out there says their player is great at one thing or another. So it's, it's very difficult for teams to, to figure out the difference. But if they can see you play, it's a lot easier to do it. Excellent.
1: Six, I want to get back to, well, moving the, other, the opposite way. Uh, from Sweden to North America, we've seen more and more players making the jump. Uh, we, this season was the first season we had 100 Swedish players playing at least one game in the NHL. How would you dis- how can Sweden still produce that many talented players year, year after year? The, the NHL player um, number has grown exponentially, I think, for the past five or six years. Sweden, despite being only 10 million people, is one of the great, greatest producers of hockey players in the world, what makes,
2: would you say? Sweden is the, the best producer of hockey talent in the world per capita. Now, I don't know if that's fair to say compared to Canada that has uh, what 50 million people, the United States 350 million, there are other sports that are important. 36, um, 36 million, yeah. a bunch of Canadians have left Canada or what? <laughs> 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 um, the, the Swedish model with the hockey high schools is something that is is um, no question about it the the best system that I have ever seen for an entire group um, because what it gives it gives um, players from all over the country uh, very very similar chances to develop their talent. Um, that that gives them a chance to, to take the next step. And you have the All-Swedish League and then the SHL. So there are very, very clear stepping stones from going from one league to the next league to the next league upwards. Mobility, which, which gives Sweden, Swedish kids a, a very, very good chance. The other thing um, that you have to remember as well is that Sweden is a country that, that is very, very um, systematic. In other words, they have a, a program with teaching coaches, so, so you have a, a federation that teaches coaches how to coach players in a very, very similar way, which really, in my opinion, is a phenomenal strength that they have. And I know that the United States has really tried to copy, you know, the USHA, USA hockey has tried to copy the Swedish model and really try to train coaches to the different ways of teaching how to skate, how to pass, how to shoot. So you get a, a, the same... A level of coaching no matter where you are where you're playing, who your coaches or as close that as that is possible where I've seen in North America certain teams with great coaches you know well they become phenomenal a lot of players where players in the same city or different city or very close by don't have the same coaching and, and that makes a huge difference. So, so Sweden has found a way to, to educate the coaching staff. Um, from the youth level, which for me is, is probably the strongest um, strength uh, that Sweden Swedish hockey has. Again, 10 million people, as you say, sixten is is um, easy to do, or easier than it is to do with 36 million or the United States, which you know 10 times that. So, so finding ways to educate young coaches. Then the the situation of of. Uh, people that you can look up to role models um, it's so much easier today when you can see 10, 12, 15 players that are in your same age group that are playing in North America so you see if he can do it why can't i do it and that's we've seen that all throughout Sweden and i talk about the first people that have gone over and played early um, Burya Salming, some easy example that, that has gone over and 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 kind of paved the way for other Swedes. Now today, you know, there are you know kids that are in the 2002 that are going to be in the draft. You've got two kids that are going to go in the top of the draft, um, the NHL draft. You know, they're picked to go you know between one and five or two and five maybe. Um, so so you see that kids are doing it. Well, they've seen Elias Pettersson go over and they say, well, I'm just like Elias Pettersson, and then they see the next kid, and the next kid. So so a lot of it has to do with. That if if they can do it, why can't I do it? Um, in the essence, as well, and the NHL's game has changed to a skater's game. It's a fast-paced game. Sweden skates; they're, they're not a physical, uh, in general. You know, a, a group of physical players. There are obviously um, exclusions to that or, or exceptions to that, but um, the game has changed, and that, no question about it. That that has really helped all European players that are that have skating as their strength. Um, and now North America, um, the USHA, the USA uh, hockey program with their you know c- collection develop which is it was in Ann Arbor now in Plymouth you know they've obviously uh, looked a lot at what you know Europe is doing and these kids skate extremely well and they you know been successful. So to answer your question very simply, um, educating coaches uh, and a great stepping stone path. Um, every fifteen year old ice hockey player in Sweden, boy. Um, has the ability to see his path from 15 years old to being a pro player. Very, very clear. I start in a hockey high school, often at one of the pro teams, can be one of the all-Swedish teams. From there, I play in their junior team. From there, I play a game or two with the pro team or, or the team up. From there, I then get drafted, and from there, I move on. And that path is very clear, and parents follow that. On the other hand, if we're looking at women's hockey and girls, girls in Sweden have no path whatsoever in all of athletics in general. There is no hockey high school for the girls, um, slowly but surely starting. There are few role models that show them the way to go. And as in North America where you have college scholarships, um, where these girls can play and, and dream about going to a, a university, a college, and, and getting their school paid for them. Their fathers are very interested in that often due to the fact that it's a financial gain to be able to get a full-ride scholarship in different sports, soccer, um, hockey, obviously, um, golf, tennis, basketball. And and so women's athletics, due to Title Nine. Um, which means that they have to have each college program has to have as many men as women scholarships or as many women scholarships as you have men scholarships is a, something that, that makes the United States um, by far and away the best um, developer of women's talent. goes back to coaches. They get the best or better coaches due to the fact that dad is interested in daughter's scholarship. Don't have that in Sweden. Therefore, there are extreme amount of boys that become NHL players but women are way after. Now, I guess I took that conversation a little bit different angle. <laughs> Actually, that's really interesting because we could get to that. I mean, the,
1: the, the SDHL, which is the Women's Hockey League in Sweden, uh, we're looking at, even though development is slow, it's still de- developing at a certain pace. We see Luleå being the frontrunners here and also HP71 as of late and Linköping, I would say, in getting their pro teams to a certain level. However, much can be done on the junior side and girls' side and, I don't know, Pee-wee. But where do you see this development going now? Maybe can we see anything in the in the wake, not in the wake, but after this whole pandemic thing? Sure. Can we see any change
2: there, do you think? Um, for speaking specifically about hockey, um, I would like to add in soccer as well, uh, because it's pretty much the same situation. Um, too many girls quit athletics between the ages of 12 and 15 because they don't see their path. Uh, they don't see their hockey high school or, or soccer high school just as the boys do. They don't see their, where they're gonna play when they're 22 and 23 and 24. Therefore, it's better to get an education and, and quit playing athletics. Compare that, then again, to to North America. When I say North America, I probably should be saying the United States, in this case, due to the fact that college lengthens that path. Um, So to answer your question uh, clearly, I don't think Sweden is going to do very well as far as producing Swedish-talented hockey players, or even soccer players. Sweden is very good in soccer uh, on the women's level. until they find a way to, to give these girls a role model. And I talked about the NHL players, that, that you see one other pe- people, person doing it, why can't I do it? And if they do it, if they're successful, I'm as good as they are, or I could even be better. So you, so you have something to chase, you can chase the rabbit in a sense. And and the girls don't have that, so... so the only way, well, my only way—that's a pretty strong statement. Uh, my my suggestion is has been that that the men's teams have to take each women's team under their arm or, or take care of them, in the sense that that um, they're building a women's program, uh, they're putting the same jerseys on the girls that the that the men have, um, they're letting you use the same locker rooms um, or gyms or um, same facilities in a sense of of rehabilitation. So. When a young girl is 12 or 13 years old, she walks into a locker room and she feels like this team here for the women is the same as the men's. Now, I understand that there's a financial difference and there should be a financial difference until you find a way to, to sell marketing the same way. A TV company is willing to send it. Uh, companies are willing to put their money into it. But the women have to be able to see up to or look up to the women that are, that are playing or the girls need to look up to the girls, the women that are playing. Um, and see role models, and and when they see role models, and when mom and dad see role models, mom and dad will then encourage. Again, it's up to the dads at this point in in athletics if their dads take their daughters to the same practices. Um, I don't know how many parents I've seen do things for their sons that they would never do for their daughters in the same situation from from making you know cooking food and, and, and preparing their weekend or uh, letting them go away to a, to a camp or letting them to do you know, do something that is extra special. Well the boys can do it because they are going to be professional hockey players and they're going to make a lot of money the women well why should we do that? Where's the money there? So in essence I would say parents have to decide that women's athletics is important as, as youth athletics or, or as boys. Um, And that comes in my world from the team. So I think that every team in Sweden, pro team, should be required to have a a women's team. And I think that they should all say, okay, if our men's team costs $100, crowns, whatever it is, the women get 5% of that. And if they were to do that, give the men 95% and the women 5%, every organization in Sweden will have the chance to at least double what they do today excluding Lulio, because Lulio has a private sponsor that goes in for the women's program. But if they were to do that, 95 to the men, five to the women. Who at a meeting would say it's wrong to give 95% to the men's team and 5% to the women's team? Most people would say, well, let's give them 90-10 or let's give them 50-50. I'm not saying 50-50, I'm not saying 70-30, I'm not saying 80-20, 95-5. Let the women start becoming role models for the younger girls. Then in 20 years, you'll see a difference but you won't see it in five years. It takes too long time.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Um, I don't really have any more questions. Oh, I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you, I've only been here for three years. You, you obviously have more history with Mike. But, uh, I've, I've been
2: a nobody since you were here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, um,
0: Mike, you had mentioned, obviously, when you first came over here, you weren't really making any money. Um, you were studying. What were you studying?
2: When I came to Sweden, I had graduated from the University of Michigan, and, and I actually made $1,000 a month for six months. Um, my apartment was paid for, so, so I went back and worked hockey camps um, in the summer times to, to support myself at that time. I was living at my parents' house, so I didn't have a whole lot to support. I, they were supporting me. Um, when I, after my fourth season in Sweden, um, I chose to move home, and was on my way home. I had been accepted to the Wharton Business School in Philadelphia and and was going to move home and same time I met a girl and, and she and I were talking about a future if we would try to figure out a future the chairman of the board that I mentioned Christopher Mord who was the chair just become the chairman of the board in Lynchburg said well, we want to make a run for the Swedish Elite League and we want you to be a part of that and I said uh, that would be fine I've got you know I, I would be interested in doing that but I have two requirements. Uh, the one requirement is that I get accepted to the University of Linzheping to study to study business, which is here in this town. Uh, and the other one was that I needed a four-year contract, due to the fact that I knew if um, I had a four-year contract, then they couldn't pull my visa to get my uh, to go to school. So, so. Um, very short period of time, we ended up signing a four-year contract, which was... Um, which at that
0: time, I'm guessing, was very rare.
2: Extremely rare. It didn't ever happen, I would say. And, and my boss says I was the best-paid player in the league at that point, um, which I probably was close to it, at least, um, because it was it was a lot of guys that, again, worked jobs um, at the same time as they were paid. Um, but we, we came to a position where, where I chose not to go to Wharton. Uh, chose to stay with the girl. We're married now... Since oh, 25 years ago, three children together, and I got my MBA at the Swedish University. Um, had, the thing that really happened to me at that time as well was that I had to learn the language, and not not just learn to talk, you know, at a conversation or 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 one to one. I had to learn the language completely due to the fact that I had to write all my essays and all of my tests in the Swedish language, and and that was my the time that I really really became. Um, a part of the Swedish society. Uh, There were no classes in English, so every class was in Swedish. Today, uh, many years later, they have over half of the classes at the university are taught by, taught in English by the professors, where where at that time there was none. My fourth year was the first year that a class came, um, culture and society that was actually taught in English. So, So I got to learn the language, I got to be a part of the language, and also at the university, there were very few people that cared about the hockey team. They didn't really know about it. So, so I had kind of a, a free area to, to be um, a student and a hockey player um, after that. So it was a, a great time for me. I loved it. And I got my MBA at uh, Linköping University's um, you know, business program.
0: Like you said, um, at that point, not a lot of people had followed the hockey team, but obviously having played college hockey back in North America where there's a very large culture, especially around collegiate athletics, uh, did you find that it was kind of nice to be maybe
2: lesser known while going to the university or did you enjoy the spotlight while you were at Michigan? I loved being at Michigan, and Michigan was a phenomenal time. I just wish I could do it again and, and be a little bit older and know know things that I that I didn't know at that time. I think I would have really used the experience better than what I did. Um, I think, um, well, it, I, I didn't. I was too dumb and young and stupid to <laughs> to to understand how great of a situation it actually was. Um, uh, but to answer the question, it was really two worlds, and, and Swedish um, athletics have nothing to do with, with schooling as the way they do it in the United States. There's, there's no connection whatsoever. So, so it was two worlds for me, and, and the university here in Linköping is, is its own campus a little bit further away from the city, which, which means that they live their kind of their own world, and, and the city and, and the, the athletic teams, I think, live in a different world. All of the students that came from different cities, well, they, you know, cheered for their hometown team. They didn't cheer for Linköping. Uh, and again, at this time, back in 98, 96, or 97, 98, 99, our team really wasn't that well-known uh, nationally. It was local team, and, and um, obviously there were some of my my friends that knew that I played hockey, but it wasn't the same thing. So I, I really had a great time, and I, you know, one of the best times that I had um here in Sweden was just the combination of, of hockey in the afternoons. Uh, a lot of players worked um, until 3 o'clock, and then they came down to practice, and I was at the university from, from 8 a.m. until to 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and then, then went and played hockey, and it was a great situation for me, and I, I loved it. And you know, i I've been given the advice by my coach at Michigan, Red Berenson, that said uh, hockey should work for you. You should never work for hockey, uh, and that's something that I've always stood by. Um, hockey should take you places. It should give you chances. It should help you to improve yourself, or or become smarter, or a different opportunity. Work for a company, whatever it may be. Um, you should never be you should never be in a situation where you have to do it to be a hockey player. A lot of people get in a situation where they have no other choices. They've got nothing else to do. Um, and I'm grateful and thankful that I was uh, got the advice and and was able to to. Um, use that advice, that I hockey has never run my life. I've always run hockey. And, mm-hmm. and even when I was team president, I quit when I wanted to quit. I didn't have to have the job. Um, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I you know, have really loved my different situations, Michigan, Linköping, team president. But I could always get out when I wanted to or I could always do something else. And so um, I'm thankful. I love hockey. And, and it's given me a lot of opportunities. But I've also had the chance to say no to it mm-hmm. if that were the case as well. I think we could do a two-part interview like an, another episode with you but
1: I have a, I have a question that actually comes from a, my own, my own basis as a fan of lane shopping. and well do you ever, ever have have you ever had any regrets about a signing you didn't make <laughs> as a team president as you a mean. team president <laughs> I feel huh. like there's some history no, behind no. this question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a genuine question, actually, I, but but I, I think that's an I, I heard that on another podcast, and I found it to be interesting talking to someone in that position. You can think about that for a while. Well, I have another question for you.
2: Yeah, give it to me. Then we'll start. We'll start over again once. Yeah, that, Once it yeah. happens.
1: Let's talk briefly about the season of 0405 and what that did, because that had a major impact for. everyone outside North America, basically, but especially for Sweden and Swedish hockey with pretty much every major NHL player coming to Sweden, or at least most of them. Where did you start? Obviously, you know Mike Newbel and you knew knew Brendan Morrison, but how
2: did those conversations go? 2004-2005 season was was by far and away the best season hockey-wise that Sweden will ever see. A lot of different reasons for different players coming to Sweden, but but um, it was uh, the first year of the arena here in Linkoping opened up, which at that time was called Klueta Center. It's a chocolate company. Um, almost full, er, sold out every single game. Uh, it was and the play on the ice, uh, the players that we had um, and the ones that stuck out the most obviously were. Uh, Christian Huselius was outstanding. Um, Henrik Tallinder, and I'll come back to him a second, but the, at the same time you had uh, Brendan and Mike. Uh, Brendan Morrison from the Vancouver Canucks, and Mike Knuble at that time was in Philadelphia, I believe. Um, I played with Mike, we were roommates in college. Um, Brendan I didn't play with, but knew him as he came to Michigan after I came. And I went to both of these guys really early, I, and I had um, received information. Um, if it was you know, better information than anyone else had, I don't know, but, but that the, the NHL season was never gonna start. So I went home to Ann Arbor and was standing in the, the trainer room, in other words, the, the physiotherapist's room, and both Mike and Brendan were there and, and they were, you know, coming off of their season. I said, guys, I want you to sign a contract. I want you to come to Shopping And they both kind of looked at me and said, you, you think this is going to go that long? I said, well, Brendan, you're a part of the, the union. You know more than I do if it's not going to go. And it's, so let's do it this way. Um, you guys sign a contract with me. I'll keep it in my back pocket. And if it doesn't work out, I'll rip them up. And I'll never say anything to anybody um, until we agree to, it, to make it public. So we signed both of them. Uh, you want to guess what, what I paid them, or what Lynch should we paid? These guys,
1: I've never even given the, the, this a thought. Um, when you look, that smile told me that it wasn't that much.
0: Uh, I, I want to say it's either really high or really low. Really well,
2: well, low. What would you say, Dave? What would you say, Mike? You know,
1: annual my, salary here? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was a month monthly salary, monthly but, salary. But, but but yes, it was annual.
1: Forty thousand Swedish crowns.
2: And now a little bit more, um, 10000 dollars a month. Okay, so between so, and so at that at that time the crown 60%. the crown was around 70, 7 cents. Right. So, 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 so 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 uh, I
0: wouldn't say no to that, though. Uh, well, <laughs> well, well, no. well,
2: Remember, Brendan was making I think three three million dollars at the time, or That's something fair. of that. So so I think 10000 dollars was, and it was more more of a you know a thing that, just to make life. They know. just wanted to play hockey. They 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 need to play hockey. So, so, so we did that and, and, um, Huselius then came to to Linz after he got turned down by Furlan. Furlan brought home a they lot of pla- they turned him right. down. So there, there's a there's a you talk about the the idea of, of uh, so a, a signing right. and he yeah. didn't sign. Well, they had so many other people coming home. Daniel Alfredson, They they, they chose to bring in Paulson as well, who played there, there for one go. season. So so that they already had a full uh, group of players. They had that a
1: stacked team
2: that year. They had a stacked team that year. Ended up winning, and I think we would have beat them had we not had our problems, um, which we can talk about later. But but. Um, so, so they came in, but then Henrik Talinder, nobody wanted him. Every team had was out, didn't have any more money. <laughs> so, so Henrik Talinder's agent Klaus Ehlefalk, uh, calls up Ewan Hamlin and says, "Hey, we got Talinder. and we said we we've got this amount of money, and it wasn't a lot of money. I'll take it. I want to play hockey, and he was phenomenal. I was, what a person, what what a great person. I mean, he was outstanding. At the same time, we had Magnus Juunson. Who who at this time was on his way to becoming an NHL player and and so you put the five of them together um, and you know what I think they would have been a good second line in any 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 NHL team out there also uh, maybe power play. oh maybe even a first line for some teams yeah. and, and these guys these guys were outstanding um, so fun to watch and and it was something that that um, you know I, I loved. It was a great season, great season um, which you know, was ruined obviously by um, here in Sweden if you don't know about it um, a couple of players got um, caught being out on a national team tournament um, that was then how oh, they were accused of rape um, that was uh, never processed or never went to court. Uh, but in the end, uh, our season was ended because a couple of our players were involved in that, and it, it um, shut down our season. We had to let the players go. Um, or put it this way, we, the agreement was that as long as they're accused of rape, they can't play in our jersey. Um which screwed up our season. So, so in the end, um, we didn't win the championship, got knocked out in the quarterfinals because two of the players weren't a part of the playoff team. But I truly believe we would have beaten Frolunda because we had beaten them every game that season, or or close to it, and we owned them. And due to the fact that Huselius was so good against them, and and Talin, oh, we we were great, we were great that season. Um, but um, to answer your question, best season ever in Sweden hockey-wise, um, I will never see it again. No. Nope. And, and um, no question about it, it was the best place, the best league in the world that season. Uh, Marion Hossa was in Moura. I mean, but but, I mean, he, he, he did so many things. I mean, I remember he turned Talinder inside out one time and then our goalie, Frederick Norna was out in the corner and he put it in the open net. I stood up myself by myself in a. Started cheering from "Wow, what a goal!" Woohoo I'm thinking, "Shit, that's the other team." I shouldn't be doing that. Down, <laughs> everybody around. Like, you know, you know, that's the other team, don't you? Uh, it was, you know, it was a great season, um, and and something we'll always look back on.
1: Yeah, I have two of my fondest memories uh, from that season. Was uh, Lindstrom played Serlatelli away? I think it, this was during regular season. I remember Brendan Morrison cutting in from the left, I believe, and just ripped a shot just underneath the bar. He celebrated, no one else did. He went up to referee, you have to call that, you have to call that. And they did, and it shows, it just went, in, I don't know, an inch below the bar, and of course it was a goal. Nobody else saw it. Off
0: the back crossbar. And yes,
1: outside. nobody else saw it. And I remember that that made him, you know, made him st- st- stay um, stand out that much mm-hmm. as a player and also as a person, just being that adamant that was a goal, goddammit. Yeah. And also, I think Linköping was playing HP 71 at home, and a, on a four, four on five, he, he, they threw out Houselius, uh, Nubel, and Marson and they just went at it. They went cut through the entire power play lineup of HP71 and just
2: fooled Stefan Leib. I don't know. Now I would like to, to change that a little really? bit. Uh, what well, was it, four five? Yeah, it was four on five. Yeah. Um, Magnus Johansson shot a slap shot That's to true. to to Brendan Morrison, or to Huselius. Huselius Passed it to Morrison, kept going towards the net, and Morrison one-timed it to him where he just put it in the net on the far side. Oh, and great. it was a one-touch hockey yeah. from their own zone yeah. all the way there. Just tic-tac-toe. Over, over 60 meters of the ice. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. One of the I, most I, beautiful hockey goals ever. Seen, for me, ever it's seen. the best goal, yeah, yeah. best, goal, best, goal I, best goal I've ever seen. Best goal I've ever seen. Now, now to, to, to finish that, Mike Knubel, yeah. um, he says to me that shopping made him Swedish hockey made him learn how to skate really? so Mike Knuble was a fourth liner or a third liner when he came up to the NHL and then moved over to Philadelphia and, and had a had a shot there signed a, a very strong contract there in Philadelphia for three seasons but he was a, a hard-working son of a gun and really nothing more Well he improved his skating and he said because I improved my skating I made the the Olympic team And due to the fact that I made the Olympic team and I did well in the Olympics, I then was able to continue my career. So he says that being in Sweden one season was probably one of the best things that he had for him, learning how to skate which took his NHL career to the next step. Brennan was a phenomenal skater for me. That was what he was good at. So, and, and he would have fit into Swedish hockey, no question about it. But Mike improved so much that season due to the fact that he had to skate, he had to move himself, and in the NHL he was playing in front of the net and you know, and, and fighting for position and trying to get there. Where here he would back out, he would skate, he would pass, he would do different things. So so. so you could get him on the show? Noobs, I think we could probably call him up and get him on that the show cool. if, you, if you really wanted yeah, to. Yeah, for sure. Anybody from Michigan will come on this show, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs>
0: now speaking of the university of michigan there's a fairly famous goal named after it scored by mike legge in 1996 and in a, here in sweden it's known as the zoro goal in canada we call it a lacrosse style goal and i've talked to multiple people throughout the season especially since niels hoaglander has pulled it off so successfully and so beautifully a few times this season and it seems to be kind of a very dividing goal between hockey fans some people absolutely love it some people don't think it belongs in the game What's your opinion?
2: I've changed. Um, You know, when Mike Legg did it, and I watched that game um, uh, going towards the national championship for Michigan, um, I thought it was a great goal. Um, Just because it was at that time, it was in a position where where the game was on the line. Um, It was a huge game. Um, at the same time, if anyone on my team ever tried to do that, I'd say, what are you doing? Shoot the puck, pass it, don't do that stupid, you're wasting your chance. So, so it depends, if you're a spectator, like I was in this situation, and I'm watching Mike Legg thinking, wow, that was great. If one of my players, when I was the team president, did it, or even one of my teammates, I probably would have said, "Up, stop doing that stupid. So let's go now to penalty shots all the different kinds of penalty shots where you put it between your legs or you flip it up or you knock it in or whatever it may be. I'm thinking, shoot the puck. Come in with the right angle and put the puck on the net. Make a real attempt to score a goal. Stop that stupid stuff between that, your legs. or hot
0: dog and crap.
2: <laughs> exactly. At the same time, I very, very well understand that players do so much more with the puck today than they ever do. I watch my son, who's 17 years old. He can hold on to the puck on a stick and flip it up and kick it around and back and forth. And so he can do things like that that I never, ever could. So I think it's really all of us old people in the world of hockey that don't like those kind of goals. That's just because we couldn't do it ourselves. <laughs> and if we could do it ourselves, I think we would have thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and and um, I can't do it. So, so I need to be modern enough to understand that, well, the next generation has, has done something different. And, I, you know, I would look at things like Pavel Datsuk does, and, you know, he flips it over the goalie or, or um, does certain kind of moves. And sometimes he doesn't score, but sometimes he scores goals, and you're like, oh, my goodness, did he really just do that? Um, so, so I'm learning, and I'm not going to be an old man. I like those goals. Excellent.
1: I have one final question, and that is getting back to that signing, your regrets. So do you have any regrets during your time
2: as a team president on a player you didn't sign? Well, that's a really interesting question. And and to be honest with you, I was in a program and had a boss that said, go get the best players. If you can get them, get them. So so if a a player really wanted to come here and they were good, we usually got them. Or they turned us down more than we turned them down. However, we did turn down William Nelander. Oh, uh, really, really. So
1: he went to Cedeta, yeah, or
2: uh No, but after that. Okay, okay. So 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 he went to Modo. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think at the time that he was worth the money as a junior player um, to to come to Lens Um I didn't. I didn't. I just didn't think a kid like that should should be going more for money than an opportunity to play now he went on and 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 did well in moto and obviously is you know playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and is a phenomenal player and and has been very very successful um, and and at that time i just remember and there was a lot of discussions about should we be paying junior players a lot of money i didn't like the fact that teams were fighting and paying more money for a kid who's 17 years old and that was the main purpose. For me at that time, the purpose should be, where can I develop the best? And, and we thought we could develop him the best, but we weren't willing to pay him the money that other teams were willing to pay. So in the end, we said, no, well, we're going to back off, and, and he can go somewhere else. And, and obviously, he did extremely well in Modo um, that season. So, so I still think it was the right decision. Um, he wasn't dominant at that age um, yet, but, but I mean, he's a great player. Um, and is a great player and, and has so much talent. Um, I don't like the fact that that at that time and, and since then I was the one that really started what was called what's called the junior contract here in Sweden, which a lot of people don't like. Um, if you're from the players' perspective of it, a lot of agents don't like it, um, and I think it's the right thing to do because players at the ages of 16, 17, 18, and 19 should be worried about development more than they are about the last. Um, uh, dollar or, or crown. Um, now that's my opinion, and an agent for a player may say something. Oh, that's not your job to decide for all the players. That's our job as a with the player and the family and everything else. But um, so uh, William Nilander I guess, would be that uh, the best signing I ever have to do. I, I would have to say Knubba Morris Morrison uh, Talinder. Uh, financially, um, <laughs> they they were they were what they what they produced as compared to to what they cost. Um, there's no player that will ever play in Linköping, um to that level at that cost. Um, Outside
1: so, of the lockout season, then, what's the best time you've done? Or who, or who rather?
2: I think for Lin Linköping's development, if we, if we want to talk development of the team, it has to be Fredrik Norena. Um, Fredrik Norrena was in Furlunda, and Fredrik Norrena was a, sweet, or a Finnish national team goalie that came to Furlunda, and uh, at the same time came in Henrik Lundqvist from um, uh, northern Sweden or, or in the middle of Sweden, but came down to Gothenburg, and he and his brother um, have have had phenomenal careers, very different of, of each other, one in New York and one in Gothenburg, or mostly in Gothenburg at least. Um, the, the difference was, at that time, was that Henrik was, played in the hockey high school in Göteborg, Gothenburg. He um, was the hometown kid. Fred Norna came in to win the Swedish championship for him, and was sitting on the bench, and they didn't have a spot for him. They ended up winning the Swedish championship, and Frederick ended up standing or playing the last game. Henrik didn't do it; and he's seventeen or eighteen at this time, very young, maybe nineteen. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but but still very young. And and at the end of that season, I, the team president there, and I were very. Um, we had a very good relationship oh, together. Mats Audren, yeah. We had a very good relationship. Um, competitive relationship, um, but, but but a positive one. And, and I called him up, or he called me up, I don't remember. He said, you've got a problem, and, and I know you're not going to give us the Lundqvist, so we want Norona And and at that time, we didn't have, I felt like a, a, a an English football team. We didn't have the money to, to take over his contract and, and, and pay the payout to the team. So so I worked out a plan with, with Mats at this time that said, okay, if we we're successful with them and everything else, we'll end up paying you more money as as the team succeeds. And Frederick came in and and was the difference from 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 Linköping's team of being a a team that is in the ninth to to twelfth place position to being a being a top five team, and and that was the difference. So so development-wise for the club, Frederick Norrena um, has to be. Uh, the player that, that made the biggest difference at that time. And we were, at that time, a team that had just moved up to the Elite League, big dreams, but we didn't have the quality of players to, to match those dreams. But Frederick gave us that chance.
0: Now just uh, one last question before we wrap up here. Um, obviously you're no longer a part of the Linköping organization, but I'm assuming you're still a fan of them and you watch some of their games Obviously, over the last couple of seasons, they've struggled. They had a tough go at it this season. Is it a little bit tough for you to be on the outside watching them struggle and knowing you can't really affect or try and help them improve? Is that something that's been kind of a little bit difficult to get over, I guess, as Uh, the uh, former president?
2: uh, Are you trying to get me in trouble here? (laughs) Um, I I work for the TV company, Seymour. And I, I commentate games as an uh, expert commentator, mostly in the All Swedish League, but but I do do some SHL games. So, so I don't have any team that I cheer for. Um, obviously, as you say, um, I am a, a fan of the program, and 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 grew up um, with my son playing here, and and so on. So, so do I see things that I that I um, things should be done better? I do, and I actually voice them, and I've I've done that in the past, um, where I see things that have, have haven't been real positive in the situation at the same time I think Linköping is in a regrouping situation um it's a it's a time where things have been really successful for many years and I was a part of that and I was part of poor seasons as well um so so but at the same time the organization has to make changes we we changed our entire leadership we were we were three people uh Um, was a chairman for for over 20 years Uh, I was the president for for 12 years Ewan Hemlin who's now is the vice president of the league um, was a great um, general manager and the three of of us left in a very very short period of time and and since then the team is really or the organization is really trying to find the leadership that fits and I like the leadership they have today I think they're going to do well um, I like uh, Nicholas Persson as a general manager, and I, I like um, their Rüger Roger Ekstrom as their is, um, chairman of the board. So um, I like where they're going. Um, does it hurt? Does it not hurt? Um, I'm really glad to be a part of hockey and be able to see things from the inside as opposed to the outside. So, so um, no, it doesn't hurt me. Um, I'm I'm glad when they are successful, but I'm also very very. Um, hopefully uh, clear about the fact that, that I judge them just as I judge any other team, maybe even a little bit harder than other teams. Um, when you when you're, uh, um, have so much history and have maybe a few different inside um, information uh, sources that, that I can be a little bit harder on them than other people. Interesting.
0: And like you said, as a broadcaster, you kind of have to put your biases aside.
2: A, a, a great, a great uh, situation. I remember I was at a game with um, some friends and um, it was a playoff game and, and I was there and chipping uh, scored a goal and I sat in my seat. Everyone else jumped up and cheered and, and, and really, you know, was happy. And then Score is two nothing, and I'm sitting in my seat, and you know, and I don't do anything, and I, you know, kind of just look around, and everyone's cheering, and the woman next to me, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, well, you understand, I work for the TV company, and if I jump up and cheer here, there may be somebody in this arena that takes a picture, and that would not be, be, do really well with other fans or other people when I'm going to work a next game. So, for my job, part of it is being. Um, you know, no, showing no bias towards one team or another. She looked at me, and said, "Okay, now I understand." <laughs> I can relate to that.
1: actually. <laughs> Moving from a fan to writing—it's a—it's a weird feeling. I think we're done. I think yeah, we're, you've been more than generous with your time. Yeah, I mean, we're. You, you have, you have no. your own podcast. You want to talk? Just. Well, no, we
0: can't advertise his. People will listen to his instead can't. of ours. That's true. Right? <laughs> no. But, but um, totally different worlds. Okay. Different worlds. I mean, that's is it your, yours
2: uh, in Swedish mine's a swedish it it's, is it's go, go, pull up balansa balansa.se balansa. balansa. we have a few swedish uh, as well, we
1: do.
0: So. but mike i want to thank you for your time oh. this has been absolutely fantastic um and i'm sure obviously we've got some it's listeners been... in linchoping as well that'll love to hear this interview so thanks very much for taking your time thanks to so uh, talk to us today
2: great great to be here guys and i'll be happy to come back if you want me
0: to absolutely Okay, so big thank you to Mike Helber, former Lenshopin captain, former Lenshopin president, of course, and hopefully yeah, we can get him back uh, for another interview at some point uh, during the podcast, which obviously he said he would be more than open to.
1: Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed, enjoyed uh, I actually got in quiet with the question about... The player he regretted not to sign. Yeah, I
0: think that was the toughest question that uh, that we posed. Yeah. You had to think about that one.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's not easy to get him quiet. I know Mike <coughs> since before, and he can talk. But I, yeah. I, I thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. It was really, really fun.
0: Absolutely, and yeah, so informative, so, I guess... Talkative, articulate yeah, yeah, yeah. and very talkative and yeah some some,
1: some great responses
0: uh so yeah thanks very much mike for being our very first guest here on across the pond
1: and we'll be dropping a new interview for our next episode as well yes, let's not and to divulge
0: the name no still. but let's just say pretty much every hockey fan will recognize this name. yes Okay, um, do we have any more news to talk about? We do have some we questions have, to go over. You got a Twitter question, I got a Reddit we question. We had some
1: more news actually before uh, right. that. Um, Peter Regin, the former uh, SHL forward, is leaving Jokrit, and the Malmö Redhawks has expressed their interest in signing him. Uh, but there is an uh, agent, Morten Grien, said in March that Regin probably will play in Continental Europe. However, uh, the D man also leaving Jokrit, Oliver Lauritsen, also rumored to be signing with Malmö. Marcus's a, brother? Uh, or Mark, no you know, relation? Their demon, Lauritsen. Yeah, could be. Yeah, But um, we could actually check that out. Um, that'd be interesting. Peter Regin, I can't remember his stats off the top of my head. Let's look that up because he did quite well in the SHL when he was here before. Excellent. Um, he's 34 years old, so he's not... He's not... Um, that young, but I can see him strengthening, well, any team looking for some uh, routine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He had uh, 25 goals
1: and 33 assists in 150 games in the SHL. Um, in the NHL, he had eight, uh, 30. Oh, sorry, 23 goals and 44 assists for 67 points in 243 games with the Ottawa Senators and the New York Islanders, and also, actually, Chicago Blackhawks. I didn't know that. Interesting. So that's pretty cool. For, for Jokorit, he's played the last five seasons. Uh, first season as an assistant cal- or alternate captain, mm-hmm. and the last four as a captain. Interesting. And he was hailed by Yari Curry as one of the most important players in franchise history.
0: Really? Yeah. Yari Curry is involved with that? He's the general manager of Jokrit. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that name in a very long time.
1: No. So that's really cool. Uh, I hope he signs in the SHL, because he's a fun player to watch.
0: Excellent. Uh, so should we move on to some uh, questions? I have one more thing.
1: Uh, Fralunda is actually having a Q&A with President Christian Lechthaler tomorrow, for uh, April 21st. Excellent. it will be live-streamed on YouTube at 10 a.m. Swedish time.
0: Unfortunately, the episode isn't going to be out at no, that point, but, so uh, hopefully you listened.
1: Still, pretty cool thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think a lot of teams... Um, I don't know. Maybe you should start doing that because there's obviously a lot of interest from fans to be able to get direct contact with yeah. uh, the management and the players, and you know, with everybody social distancing, exactly. a lot of companies have taken everything online. You know, people are using. Um, I, well, I had never heard of it before the pandemic, but Zoom is the big one right now, which Me is which is allowing companies to you know have like you know up like 30 or 40 people all on the same call and video chat kind of thing. And I think teams should start taking advantage of that fact, you know, try to, um, the NHL has been doing it. They've been getting updates from players as well. Um, I know a bunch of leagues, uh, the Mm -hmm. junior league that I used to uh, broadcast for, the BCHL has been doing it as well, getting coaches and, uh, and players up online to, you know, give updates on how they're doing. And so, yeah, I think it's a it's a good idea that more teams should be kind of taking advantage of the fact that yeah, it kind of sucks there's no hockey, but it's a good time to outreach to the fans. Yeah,
1: especially I mean everything this pandemic, uh, it, it it concerns us all, and it I mean it, it affects us all in in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, I think the reason for this Q and A tomorrow was due to the pandem- pandemic and financial situation of the club and stuff like that. So. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a QA, so you can ask pretty much anything. It's really, really neat. Yeah, absolutely. So now think, can I we move on to the questions? We can move on to the questions, <laughs> yes.
0: Okay, so this one we got, um, unfortunately, the person who posed this question got in just a little bit late for the last episode. But I think it's an interesting question, and it's from Here Come the Rats, is his <laughs> username. A, I love Reddit in that <laughs> way. So, do you think it would be beneficial for Nordic teams to form a Super League? It could potentially help by raising revenues, allowing teams to regain home talents and could also stall temptation for teams to join the KHL. So I'm assuming when he says Nordic Super League, that would include four countries. Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland.
1: I guess so. Um,
0: and, I mean, they're all in close proximity to each other. They are. I
1: mean, travel wouldn't
0: be... It wouldn't be too bad. You know, You'd have to get on a plane every once in a but while. But would that but...
1: be like... I mean there are two routes here you mm. can take I mean you can keep the domestic leagues and have it like a European league like the Champions League or but a Nordic Champions Northern League Champions Champions kind league. of thing yeah uh, that would be one way and it would be an interesting one the, the thing I'm kind <clears> of <throat> it, it would be awesome to, to see in a way Yeah. but I, when it comes to hockey I'm kind of it's hard to break away from what you've got in hockey it's so structured
0: well and I've also found in talking with Swedish fans and a couple Finnish fans as well everybody kind of likes their country and having their teams in their country stay in their country kind of thing and I think I don't know if a lot of people would be really open to the idea of combining three or four of these leagues you also have to consider the fact that um well the SHL has 14 teams the Finnish team has 16 I think yeah, Finnish League, yeah. Um, I'm not too sure about the region or the Danish I think, League. I no, think the Danish League has 8.
1: I think Norway has 10 or 12 because they, they had a promotion thing going on last season. Um, but
0: right there, you're pushing 40 teams yeah, in, exactly. in a league. And so I think you would kind of have to cut down on the amount of teams that would be allowed to join that league. Because you can't have a 40-team league. No, it's just it's too much. The travel schedule, the playoffs, it would just be insane.
1: And the difference in quality. Exactly. I mean... You would Sheffield would curb stomp, or Jurgården would curb stomp, nine of the ten Norwegian teams, I think.
0: And and that's the thing, it would to keep kind of a quality equality with talent throughout a league that large and that spans that many countries, I think you would have to introduce a salary cap. Yeah, which, I think so as well. Which here in Sweden, obviously, we, they'd also have to re-examine how the teams are funded because right now 51% of the teams, or 51% of each team is owned by the club supporters.
1: Exactly. Or members,
0: or members. Sorry, and so it's an interesting question, but I think it's a little bit too big to actually come to fruition.
1: It could be. I mean, in addition to the domestic leagues as a start. Yeah, but the thing is, if you were then to it would compete to the Champions Hockey League,
0: if you were to make that in competition with the Champions Hockey League, you would have to withdraw the Nordic teams from the Champions Hockey League. Not necessarily. It would be a lot of hockey for the guys that were playing in both, well, True. three leagues, but. It's an interesting question, but like I said, it's it's there's, there'd be so much juggling and things you'd have to figure for out. for
1: development. You could see it in the, on a junior side, absolutely. That would be kind of cool. Yeah, uh, still having the organizations in the top tier leagues throughout the countries having a junior, like a junior competition to start with.
0: Maybe yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea, kind of, and that would kind of soften the blow of fans. You know, introduce this idea to yeah. them that you know get the J twenty elites playing you know in a Nordic Super League. No, uh, apart from their regular yeah. leagues, and make it kind of like, uh, yeah, like a like a CHL tournament style. The,
1: the idea, I mean, I'm not shooting it down completely because it's a cool idea, yeah. I and mean, it would help, especially hockey in Nor- Norway and Denmark, to grow even more. Finland yeah. and Sweden, it's so it's that much established, so it wouldn't help in that way. Yeah, but still, yeah, I mean, I I think the fans would prefer to see like, I don't know, Stavanger versus, Jurgården instead of Jurgården playing. Some unknown Hungarian team or something. I mean, yeah. it's more of or a... the Belfast Giants or exactly. something. Exactly. I mean, there's no... I mean, because there's a bit of rivalry... Not to disparage the EIA... EIA. EIA. <laughs> what is it? The EIHL? The Elite the IHL, Ice Hockey, Hockey yeah. League. Yeah. But, I mean, there is a bit of rivalry between Nord- Nordic countries anyway. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's a fierce, nice rivalry when, in terms of sports. So, I mean, yeah... If you can make it work, why not?
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, there's obviously you know just kind of like you said a, a rivalry already, and there's always friendly jabs exactly. from Sweden to Norway, Norway to Denmark, Finland to Sweden, and everybody seems yeah. to hate Denmark. So in terms of sports, <laughs>
1: when it comes to politics, everyone hates or, each other, but that's the way in the world. Yeah. So, it, so let's stay away from
0: the politics. It would be a really interesting kind of thing to try. Whether or not it would work is hard to say. Yeah. And you had a question from Twitter.
1: Yeah, and this will be a long one. Uh, I'm just going to have a look.
0: Oh, we're already running long on this episode. Oh, uh, so. it's okay. Yeah.
1: People can always shut us off.
0: Yeah, you can pause us uh, and then restart. That's yeah. the good thing about podcasts. Okay. So it's not So like I live need to radium.
1: find the question because, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> the, someone with an awesome nickname, that's Lappreckarn. <laughs> Thank you. That's really, really cool. And he has a... Uh, he or she, I should say, has a... Oh man, it won't load. I can't really tell what that profile pic is. Looks like something from Dune.
0: It's a crow wearing sunglasses and holding a knife in its beak.
1: It is. So it's not something from Dune. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he or she asks uh, the uproar against the Swedish ice, ho- sorry, Swedish ice Hockey Association for firing Anders Felt and Mark. So, this will be a long one. There's <clears throat> The Swedish Ice Hockey Federation are in deep trouble for m- m- multiple things right now. Um, my great mentor and, well, the great Uffe Bodin uh, had a nice column at Hockey Sverige the other day uh, where he put out a bit of a timeline, which I'll, and I won't read it through and through, but I'll give you the notes uh, short. On February 28th, SVT, which is the Swedish the television, television, yeah. yeah. They, uh, how did I need to find this word? Sorry, sometimes I need to translate. Yeah, oh, they reveal. Sorry, so SVT reveal uh, the general uh, team manager for uh, the national team put the curler resigns like that two months before the world championships. This being without the pan- before the pandemic, obviously. Then, uh, two weeks later. And, uh, in a, and I quote Uthra on this one. In a very strange video clip about a girl and a women's hockey pub- published, bu- published on the uh, Federation's yeah. website, uh, the chairman, Anders Larsson, happens to go, Oh, by the way, the uh, head coach for the women's national team will be replaced. And that's it. This was eleventh of March, and Ulva Martinsson will be uh, was then replaced by Ulf, Ulf Lundberg. March nineteenth, SVT again reveal that the police are investigating uh, the, uh, an incident at the H- uh, hockey federation's headquarters. I suppose um, apparently it's a sexual assault. It's not the word I'm looking for. Harassment. Yeah, uh, it should be. Oh. yeah sexual harassment so yeah, we, let me do that again on March 19th the SVT has revealed that the police are uh, investigating an uh, incident at the federation's headquarters according to the police there are uh, accused uh, accusations of sexual harassment and uh, to express um, the uh, one leading the investigation says we've been informed by that many have been Named? Not named, but has been uh, harassed? Harassed, yeah. And then, <laughs> on April 6th, um, information assistant uh, Anders and Mark is fired all of a sudden. Uh, the, ofend- of, uh, the official reason was lack of work, or sorry, yeah, lack of work, I guess. Uh, but as it happens, Felton Mark is also the chairman of the union at the Federation. So this gets just murkier and murkier. So, so, what's the question? The question is can we talk about it? And yeah.
0: I honestly have no knowledge of this up until this point. No, so... It's
1: very, very. I mean, they need to smoke everything it out. It seems like it, there's a lot need of to do unknowns. Control of the Delete on the whole Federation. Because, I mean, Charlotte Gustafsson, who's a. Tremendous um, leader within Swedish hockey. Um, She said she's been discriminated. Is that the word? Discriminated. Sorry, discriminated. Before as well, but... um, She was... When she got into the... Board of competition, I guess, is the... Board of directors? No, board of competition. Should be... competition committee committee. they needed a woman was the reason which is just that and when she got a, when she resigned as the team president of Karlsruhe she was out of that job as well just like that so it's a bit weird I mean women are apparently discriminated in, uh, in one way or another over there so they need to do, smoke it all out yeah I think there's and a lot more put the card on the table for everything because the trust is going way down i mean imagine being a young girl wanting to play hockey yeah no
0: and yeah um, obviously and also uh, any, young anyone i wouldn't yeah. trust
1: so um, i wouldn't trust them so they need to put the cards on the table and just
0: so obviously a lot of information everything. still to come out so. exactly
1: so i guess i haven't heard any rumors these are things i've read and i trust Ufa budin immensely in this case so yeah it's sad, and uh, hopefully it will get resolved in the greatest way
0: possible. Yeah, but um, I think that's it for today's episode. And yeah. like we had mentioned previously, we've got another interview coming up for episode 6. This is a fairly high-profile one, and so you'll make sure make sure to uh, tune in for that, which hopefully we'll have out before the... maybe Friday?
1: Yeah, something like that. Hopefully. Um, check our Patreon. Yeah. Uh, because... On our Patreon, and we will be revealing who's to be interviewed next, and yes get the chance if to ask a, your own questions.
0: If you're a su- subscriber, you will figure out who the interviewees are before we interview, yeah. and you have a chance to ask them some questions through us! Yes! So check out our Twitter, it's got the Patreon, it's got our Spotify, um, I'm currently in the process of trying to get us onto Apple Podcasts, which is... Um, will hopefully make it easier for people who use that, obviously. Yeah,
1: I think that will help us come on to the uh, Podcast Addict, Addict app, which I use myself.
0: Perfect. And so, yeah, that does it for episode number five, six.
1: We suck at this.
0: We've done so many in quick succession. That does it for episode six of Across the Pond. Hope you guys stay safe, wash your hands, support local businesses, and we will chat next episode.